Like that's the thing. Like if you're really, really sick and you know it and you're struggling and you're not getting the results you want physically and you go to the doctor and they tell you to do X, Y, and Z, if you go do what you were doing before and don't listen to X, Y, and Z, like that's on you. And so I think for me, it was like, I, listen, if I'm in charge of this, that's on me as everything rises and falls on leadership. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Y'all, I'll tell you, some of my favorite guests that we've ever talked to on this podcast wear two different hats. Number one is the hat of practitioner. They are an impact-driven leader who truly views the organization that they are leading as a vehicle for making a difference in their team, in their family, and in the community and customers that they serve. And then the second hat that they wear is the hat of communicator. So not only are they leading, but they've done the hard work of extracting the principles from how and why they lead the way they do, and then being able to share them in such a way that we can all learn from them. And what's so cool is today's guest is Clay Steves, and Clay wears both of those hats so well. Clay is an impact-driven leader. He's the owner and CEO of Habakkuk Health. And it's so cool. I actually kind of got introduced to Clay peripherally because one of my best friends, Michael, actually went to work for Clay a couple of years ago. And in talking to Michael, I've just gained such an admiration for the organization as a whole that is Habakkuk Health, but also Clay's leadership specifically, because Michael is constantly telling me stories about how they are taking new territory and how they are doing things to preserve the health of the organization and how they value individual personal and leadership growth within their organization. But then beyond that, one of the things that's stood out as I've gotten to know Clay more is that, man, this business is an impact-driven business. They do orthopedic device sales, but the mission of the business is to help restore life within the orthopedic community. Man, if that's not impact-driven, I don't know what is. I'll tell you, and you're going to find this out in this conversation, Clay is incredibly intentional, deeply wise, and honestly, just a lot of fun. And so where I wanted to get started so that you could get to know Clay's personality a little bit better would be a few rapid fire questions before we jump into the meat of personal growth and leadership and faith that we dive into throughout this conversation. So here's my conversation with Clay Steves. Well, Clay, you started our podcast for your program with rapid fire questions, and I want to do the same. So I hope you're game on for this. Yes. Why did I do that? <laughs> Coming back home to haunt me. Also, I just figured I'd start with a really, really intense, deep uh, rapid fire question as well. So I hope you're down with that. Let's go. Uh, okay. So if you one day write your autobiography, what's the title of the chapter that you're currently in? Hmm, pruning. Pruning. Very good. Wow. We're definitely going to come back to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, book you most recommend to people? Hmm. Bonhoeffer by Metaxas, the biography that was put out a few years ago. I guess it was more than a few years ago, but Bonhoeffer by Metaxas. Love it. Eric Metaxas is a bro. Mm. I'm pretty sure never one, and no one's ever given him that review before, but I'll say that he's a bro. Metaxas, he's a bro. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> What's the book you're currently reading? Um, Practicing the King's Economy. I was given it oh. as a gift. And that one, and I just finished before that, Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs by Steve Cuss. 
And at this point, oh. I strongly recommend both. Yeah. Okay. Biggest takeaway from either of those? I am one chapter into the King's Economy, so I won't make a, a takeaway yet on that one. The leadership anxiety <laughs> that mine manifests as a racing mind. And so even just this morning, when I was up way too early, like earlier than my alarm goes off, and my mind was just running and I was processing and my supercomputer was on, it reminded me that I was like, wait a minute, I'm being anxious under the surface about something, so I need to explore that because my mind is just running. That's what I took away. You're already giving me so much. Like this, All of this is just giving me the entire conversation. You're filling up, like, just screw the outline. We're just going to throw that away, right? I feel like, hold, hey, listeners, if you go back and listen to Judd's episode with me, I feel like all my rapid fire questions were like trivial and very yeah. shallow. <laughs> so maybe that's the difference in our podcast is yours is like, there's depth and substance. And I'm like, tell, tell me about Texas and being in the marching band and things like that. Very <laughs> Good. I think there's value to both. Sometimes I think I need to learn the other skill a little bit better. Okay, here, here's this could be a fun one. This could be a funny one. This could be a, a weird one. Someone that knows you well. So if I was to ask maybe one of your kids, maybe your wife, maybe someone on your team, what's something weird about you? Okay, so our dog, which we got 18 months ago, which is a Tibetan Spaniel, which is this tiny, fluffy, ridiculous thing. It had multiple names before we got it, but my kids and wife renamed it Greg. And then they learned from my mom that she almost named me Greg. And so now my wife and my kids call me Greg Sr. and the dog Greg Jr. And that literally happens in my house. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that qualifies. That's a great answer. Wow. Well, and they thought it was that my mom was like, it's not that funny. And my family was just dying, dying laughing. Yes. I feel like as an ode, as a tribute to your family, we should publish this as a podcast with Greg Sr. I feel like that would be appropriate. Well, my, my five kids and my wife would love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Final topic before we actually jump in. What is a topic that you are disproportionately passionate about? So like, What's something that just gets your blood boiling or you get super excited and enthusiastic about? The term servant leadership and how it shouldn't even be a term because the only qualifier for leadership should be serving. And so I'm, I'm trying to stay calm right now, but usually when I get on that topic, I end up on a soapbox. But yeah, that, that fact that servant leadership is even a term is what I would oh, say. Oh, man. Okay. So let's park there. Let's start there because that feels like a great place to start this conversation. Why is that something that you're so passionate about? And is it tied back into something from your previous experience or what you've had to learn? Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. Probably mostly the places that I have failed <laughs> as a leader and the places that I realized that I was either my motive was off or my heart had gotten to where it was pursuing. Let's go with the giant list, like power, being right, control, safety, whatever it is that we often grasp for when we're in charge or when we have influence, if you want to take the Maxwell definition, but when we are the leader. And so I think the places that I have failed the most is often when I get off calibration there. And so I think that may be why I'm most passionate about it. And then, yes, I mean, yeah, previous employment opportunities. And I've been, gosh, I have been the leader and the owner of since 2013. So, I mean, it's been almost eight and a half, nine years 
since I have uh, worked for someone technically. But yeah, even previous experiences probably shaped that as well. Yeah. So where did starting the business come from in 2013? Like what was it always a dream of yours to start a business? And and then also what was your paradigm of leadership at that point whenever you were starting the business? I don't know that starting or owning a business had always been like the pursuit or thought for me. Leading was. I mean, I, I've always been passionate and it's always been natural too. Like my sister used to tell stories and it used to drive her crazy about how I could like rally the neighborhood kids for whatever thing I wanted to do. And for some reason they would do what I told them to do. And she legitimately would get so frustrated. And so like, that's just natural, right? That's just been like kind of a, a God-given gift since I was very young. And I mean, I studied history in college. So like, the, I'm not I'm not a business student. I didn't get a business degree. I mean, I studied history. And so when I started my own company, one, I did desire to lead. Two, I had a heart for something larger than what I was just doing. I mean, I, I was a medical device and our first businesses we started were all in medical device. I mean, I'm very passionate about the community, but for us, we have a, a kingdom impact that goes with that. I'm a follower of Christ. It's something I'm very passionate about. And so for us, it's a in the orthopedic space, a dual restoration. So we get to physically help patients every single week. It's really, really cool. Like my aunt, my aunt has had bilateral hip replacements from us. She used to show up at Christmas and she literally couldn't get out of a car, Judd. She couldn't get out of the car to come in and be with our family. And so I had to go out and like help her out of the car to swing her hip out. And she's had bilateral hips and now she dances Zumba and she volunteers at the wildlife community. And she's like, so she's had life restored, right? But what I know is that will run out. What we know as followers of Christ is that will run out. And so for us, we, if we don't bring something else that lasts eternally, if we don't give eternal restoration, we've missed our calling. So that, that was like the, that was why I started a business. It wasn't like, hey, I want to go be a business owner. Hey, I want to do this. It was like, nah, I want to do this missional impact. I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm going to fail forward a lot on this, but this is why I want to do it. So yeah, that was why we started the business. Okay. So that, that's like the deep sea why. And would you have been as articulate at that time in 2013 and describing that like, this is the reason? <laughs> it, well, thank you for saying that was articulate. Oh, yeah. that, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Great, thank you, man. I mean, we should pause there. Just having a singular story right, of that family member that you can refer back to, I would imagine that does something for you, but also does something for your team of like, because it doesn't always look like that. But when it doesn't look like that, you probably remember back to that. Yes. Yeah. Very accurate. And in what we do, we often don't get patient feedback loops. And so it's hard for us because we're just in this, we're serving surgeons as they serve a patient. We actually don't even get the feedback loop of the follow-ups or how they're doing. And so when we get those, yeah, we do cling to them. And then we tell stories to remind ourselves of those truths. You're exactly right. And no, oh gracious, no, I couldn't have articulated it. And if I'm like any, if I, if I speak articulately, not a word I get a lot, but if I'll speak boldly and I, I do get that feedback quite a bit now, I definitely didn't then like the, you know, our, our company is named Habakkuk, one of our founding companies. I mean, that's an Old Testament prophet. Like we named our company after an Old Testament prophet. We're weird, right? Like we just come out right out the gate because like a lot of people who are Christians are like, they don't even know what it is. They can't pronounce it. And so then it creates conversation. But that's not even the legal name of the company, Judd. I, I, I called it HMS because I was too afraid of what people would think. So no, like to say that it was, that was where we began. Oh, no, 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 no. That was the heart. But no, the articulation and the courage and even, you know, I'll say the, the faith was not there at the start. That, that's, a, that's a progressive sanctification process that we have been taking on a journey over eight plus years now. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the tipping point of I have this idea, I do have this motive, 
I may not be able to describe it as clearly as I can now. What's the tipping point of that would be something that could be awesome. That could be something that could be good for my family and myself and a team eventually and other our customers to, to not just being that something we could do, but that becomes something like, oh, I'm doing this and this is going to happen. What's that tipping point for you? It, it had been building for a long time. I mean, I, if I had to go back and sit in that year, that was at least a nine to 12 month process. And so and maybe that's not that long, but like where I was pursuing parting ways with my former boss, buying him out and founding our company. And that was a, a yo-yo process by a naive young man who was making stuff up and it was it was choppy and messy. And if I could go talk to that young man, we'd do a lot of things, we'd do a lot of things differently. All those kind of lessons you learn. Yeah, because you had to be what, like maybe 30? Younger than that? Yeah, it's exactly right. I was like 31. Yeah. Golly, so you're buying out a company at, at 30 and and just saying like, I'm going to do this. Yes. Yeah. And and trying to, and again, you know, you just learn, but I, I believed, I guess I, I shouldn't say you just learned, but that was, that was the process I went on was just this perpetual learning process. Cause I didn't have formal training. I didn't have that type of structure. I was good in surgery. I was good with people. And so the rest of the business side, I was going to go teach myself. I was going to go figure out. And so it's just kind of this keep building, keep learning, keep finding people who are ahead of you on the road, stand on their shoulders, keep building, keep learning. And most of the time, by the way, that means failure. One of my, one of my great leaders, like right over here to my right, has written on his wall, failure is the price we pay for success. And I just always love that quote and he's got it up because it's, it's just encouraging him like, failure doesn't mean I'm messed up. Failure doesn't mean I'm wrong. Failure's not something wrong with me. That's just a part of the process. And that's what I'm going to pay to figure this out and solve this. And so that was that was the mindset we took when we jumped off the cliff. Yeah. Okay. So because some people have to have that mindset beat into them, like they fail so much that they realize like, oh, I should probably look at this. You went into it saying like, okay, I may stumble and fall and fail a little bit. And I'm going to just learn from that. Like, was your perspective about failure right? Maybe walking into it? Yeah. Let's, let's get some real stories here. You want to get into it? Let's have some fun. So, so full stories. I actually failed out of college, Alex. And so even at the time that we are talking about all of this, I hadn't finished my degree. And so when we, when you ask how long did it take me to get there, like I had numerous opportunities to like better opportunities to leave my old job that I didn't take because of the fact that I didn't want to be exposed for having failed out of school because I can shake hands, kiss babies. I can convince people um, that they're the prettiest person in the room. I can play that natural charisma game. But if anybody wanted to look at me and be like, hey, send us a resume and we'll talk about this opportunity, I'd pull back and I would hide from it. So a part of my journey was some of the circumstances and some of my internal aspects. So when you say, did I have this, like, was I cognizant of failure as a part of the process? No, man, at that time, I really battled the failure thing because I owned it. I had failed out of college. I am a failure. So I probably hid for a long time. And what we're talking about there was a lot of my journey to kind of jumping out trying to break that, pave my own way. And for the record, I also really close to the time we're talking about went back to school and finished my degree. And while I had two kids and was covering surgery and founding this business, went back and finished my school to get my history degree. I was like literally reading like American literature. While you were building your business? While I was building my business and covering surgery. So I was like, none of these are connected. What is happening? But I got to finish it, like get this thing done. And, and so I'd like cover surgery, go to the lounge, get a cup of coffee, read this old book about like American lit Vietnam and then go back to surgery. And then like, that was the season, man. And then go home and 
wipe bottoms and fix dinner and get kids in bed and play the game. But that was the, that was the molding season. And that was where you just got to like find a way, kind of that startup mentality. And that really probably led to what you're asking me. You were kind of digging on like, where did this fail forward? Like, you just got to produce. And that was the season I was in. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I'll just solve it. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll learn. But I love learning too. So I guess I should also put that premise in there. Like, I love to learn. Really? And that's been like a, a wiring thing that you maybe grown up a little bit that way? Yeah. I th- input is what, you know, if you do the Gallup Strength Finder, that's my number one strength pretty consistently when we, when I run that report. I recently turned 40. We'll just like, I'll disclaimer that for anybody listening. I'm, I just recently turned 40. Congratulations. And, and one, Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I, I made it. Thank you. Thank you. Dude, 40 is the new 20. I don't know what people talk about. 40 is a big deal. Like you're, you're hitting the prime of your life right now. That's actually true. I'm thankful for the day I have. And I, I'm, I want to be thankful for every morning I am given, but I legitimately agree with what you just said. And for the record, the more I feel like I know more than I ever have, and I also know less <laughs> than I've ever known, or, you know, I, like I recognize I have more questions than answers now. And I'm sure 50 year old me will hopefully say the same thing. And I'm sure 60, like that should be the. Uh, speaking of UT people, right? That was the Matthew McConaughey like Academy Awards speech. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, um, I do. Of course well, I do. And, and I remember when he said that. I just remember being like, "That's one of the most profound things I've ever heard." I was like, "Did Matthew McConaughey just drop that from the stage? Like that was so good, though." And it's this element of like, talk to the ten year old version of you, ten years older. And I'm like, "Yeah, fifty year old me. What, what would he tell me right now?" And 40-year-old me looking at 30-year-old me that we're talking about would just say, be patient with yourself, but yeah, you just got to you gotta keep learning. You just stand on the shoulders of people ahead of you, learn from people like Alex who are on the same path, like you're both trying to walk the same path, find people ahead of you, stand on their shoulders, be curious, just be perpetually curious. And that goes back to the input, so I'll answer your question. Yeah, like the curiosity, the input piece, I've always had that in me. It's just really bringing it to life, giving it freedom, letting it run is the, had been the key for me. Yeah. So when it wasn't classic American literature, uh, what were the inputs at those early stages that you can maybe even still look up at your business or at your life today and say, oh, that like that author or that podcast probably weren't around back then, but that, that person's fingerprints are all over this thing. What do you think about? Yeah. So Uh, The formative ones who've had the largest impact on me, Pat Lincioni has been just a massive one for me. Pat's framework and the advantage. So all of his stuff is gold, all of it. But his framework and the advantage, if I go back to 2013, 14, when we first started the businesses, that was, I literally had never worked for a large business. I had never been to a meeting. I'd never had like a company meeting in the eight years I had been in the industry because I worked for just a small like mom and pop shop. All we did was cover surgery. Like we didn't have meetings. We didn't organize anything. We didn't systematize anything. Oh, I mean, and I, like I know people that are in medical device sales and it is like the epitome of working in the business. Like it is hustle and grind every day with huge commission checks. And it's like, but, it, and it's like the payoff is good, but you never get above the business like ever. It just doesn't happen, it seems like. And so to to have framework about equipping other people, building healthy organizations, what does healthy interactions look like? What are the dysfunctions of a team? What does a healthy team look like? How do you do these things? No concept. And so Pat's Pat's framework, which was just gold for me. Okay, so that was that was probably the largest influence and the advantage. The e-myth revisited, or the e-myth, which is about the entrepreneurial myth. And that that book was, you know. 
the beauty of it saying the entrepreneurial myth, it's not about charisma. It's not about uh, the founder's energy. It's about creating this specific framework. And if you'll do X, Y, and Z and, you know, build out the future org chart now and then assign those responsibilities to somebody at this point when it's only one person, like you're doing all of them, be like, okay, I'm putting on my finance hat, take off my hat. I'm putting on the operations hat, taking off that hat. And then you hire somebody and you're like, and you're the marketing person now. Great. And I think that was, that was a big one for me. And then first break all the rules. Also another good management book that was really helpful for me. So I'm just trying to go back to that season. Were there any individuals like people that you knew that you would sit down with that were highly impactful for the early stages of your business? Yeah, no doubt about it. My church was. So I I attend Life Church and I have for over 16 years now. And their culture building, their organizational development, the structures and systems that they put in place, that was really how I learned how to lead a culture, create that type of institutional urgency, focus on purpose, messaging all these pieces. And so I was kind of getting to stand on their shoulders and just slipstream in as I was also, you know, serving in the church and then building relationships. So there were there were lots of critical leaders who are still in my life, by the way, to this day, that either work there or worked there that have been a massive influence on me. Man. Okay. So you may have just answered my follow-up question from you talking about the advantage, but maybe not. I feel like so much of the beginning of that book, The Advantage, which is just probably the best book on organizational culture there is, but I, but I feel like so much of the front end of that book is convincing people that this is something worth paying attention to and convincing the person that's like maybe just hardcore business mind, hardcore working in the business that like, I promise you, you can't always measure these things, but it really matters. And what what I've seen is that the people that are most likely to buy into the idea of specifically organizational health, organizational culture, so many of the things that Pat Lencioni talks about, that, that our organization talks about, there's so many people out there, is the people that have seen it and they say, I want that. But it's so it's a little bit odd that you're saying, man, I didn't come from that background necessarily. I didn't even know what a meeting was supposed to look like and came in and read this book and just started doing these things. So where did the vision for what was possible come from? Well, I think the opposite experience. I think it was that when I started, because I didn't bring that content in right off the bat. And when I started, we were completely dysfunctional. We couldn't communicate on anything. Uh, To be frank, as a leader, nobody would do anything I said. Now, for the record, that was probably the mindset I had, which is probably why nobody did anything that I said. But the point being is like, we were just like an aimless ship. And I was like, if this is what leadership is, and if this is owning my business, uh uh-uh, there has got to be another way. This cannot be it. And so it was probably in that vein that I began to ask the questions to other leaders who worked at healthier spots like Life Church and specifically some of my pastors. Trevor Williams was a massive influence on my life and he's still a, a CP, a campus pastor there at a different place and continues to be an influence for me. And he was the one who said, read the advantage. And so that was where it came from because he was at a healthy place. I was leading my unhealthy place. And he was like, here, young man, start with this. But I mean, that's a pretty big shift to go. I mean, like you're probably, it's not for lack of effort that your your business feels really messy and aimless. Like you're probably working your brains out. So to just shift and say like, okay, I'm going to start using my time in different ways. Was that a hard leap for you to make? To be honest with you, no, because we were so unhealthy. Like that's the thing. Like if you're really, really sick and you know it and you're struggling and you're not getting the results you want, like physically, and you go to the doctor and they tell you to do X, Y, and Z, if you go do what you were doing before and don't listen to X, Y, and Z, like that's on you. And so I think for me, it was like, listen, if I'm in charge of this, 
that's on me is that everything rises and falls on leadership. Like you got to, it's the Jim Collins, right? You got to be willing when things aren't going well, it's not a window that you're pointing at everybody else. It's a mirror that looks at yourself. And by the way, it's the inverse in the Collins model, right? When things are going great, the window points to everybody else on your team in the mirror. And that's so that everybody else gets the praise. And so for me at that season, I was like, this is on me. I got to find a way to fix this because this is on my leadership. And it was broken. I didn't know what to do. So when they told me do this, I said, okay, I'll do that. And then they said, do this. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And I just think in time, of course, I've evolved it. I've matured it to where our company now has its own culture. And we even put our kind of own language with those foundational pieces. So we've built off of it. I'm not going to say we've made stuff better than Pat's. I'm not saying that. But we've fine-tuned it into our company and our language. But man, when you're sick and the doctor says, do this, you do this. That's my perspective of that. And I just knew we were like the first time we met with a consultant from the table group. So I brought the table group in which is Pat's company. And I said, kind of like I know you do with a lot of coaches, like bring in somebody who's got expertise, you know, and, and get their counsel. So we brought them in and they had us do an assessment like on the health of our team. And it can come back red, yellow, uh, green. And it's this pyramid and there's five different parts. It was solid red, dude. Every bucket of it was red. So I was like, oh, this is why. So even when we do like the feedback loops, it confirms our experience. We are dysfunctional. Okay, then tell us what to do because I'm on board. Let's go get healthy. And then once you get healthy, you're like, okay, now how can I take these principles and then keep applying them in our language and in our culture and build off of them? If you were to look back at it now and kind of diagnose, okay, these were the symptoms I was experiencing as a leader. So if you were to look at it very agnostically and say, these were the symptoms I was experiencing for you personally, and then get underneath those symptoms and say, this was the source of it all. How do you think about that now? It was all on me, like in my head. It's kind of funny earlier I said everything rises and falls on leadership but then I just said it's all on me and I think there, there's a nuance there though that we have to be able to willing to sit in because when I say it's all on me I was in a lens of like I have to do everything I have to control everything because if I don't control it then it's not going to get done so that mindset led to me trying to hold on to everything as opposed to empowering and trusting people allowing them to fail on their journey and maybe they won't do it as well as me day one if there was something I really was competent and good in but knowing that that allows the company to scale the other symptom man I was ex we were exhausted I shouldn't say I we were exhausted we were working our tails off we just weren't getting anywhere so it isn't like we were being bums we were working but the communication was hard it was like ships passing in the night People were having backdoor conversations, you know, A and B were talking about C, like it's just that kind of stuff. And it's just an exhausting process. So yeah, that's what I would probably say underneath the surface, what was happening about why we were unhealthy. I feel like so many people that we coincide with, and I've experienced this as well, if I'm not careful in our business is you can almost get into survival mode where it's like, man, if I don't know what we're doing at the at the end of this week, then how on earth am I going to think about a yearly strategic plan, right? And and then you kind of run into this hamster wheel of I'm never thinking of past what happens this week. And therefore, whenever I look up at the results of the past three years, I don't really feel like I have anything to show for it because I've never thought big picture about anything. Do you resonate with that? And if so, how, like, how did you start to gradually get off the hamster wheel, Clay? Well, let me, let me flip it. Let me flip it. Let me flip it and ask. So when you come in and see that business, because I'm describing it, you're saying, yeah, that's a real thing. When you come in and see somebody who's in that spot as a coach, as a leader, like what's your, what's your way to say, pull yourself out, extract yourself, especially to a founder. So let me even rephrase my question to a founder of a company. How do you tell them to stop being an operator 
and to begin to extract themselves from doing that? Like, what is step one? <laughs> I, I feel like what I'm thinking about right now is in the office when Michael goes, my, how the turntables. <laughs> I feel like you just jujitsued me into answering a question. And I want to hear your thoughts on this too. But man, I, one of the things that I've found is probably one of the cornerstone applications that if a leader implements it, it will be one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary is a cadence of communication. And, and specifically a cadence of strategic communication. Eventually, you want to get to a really formal process. And I think that that's a really good thing to do. But sometimes going from hamster wheel to formal process overnight can be really overwhelming and it can be a lot. And so really, it's like it just needs to be as formal as we have made a commitment to ourselves and to the future of this business that this 90 minutes a week does not move. And we are going to spend time thinking about and working on things that are above and beyond today, tomorrow, and this week. And we're actually going to be thinking about this month, this quarter, this year, and maybe even this decade if we're really bold. I think a lot of times people are so discouraged by the first meeting that they never get to the second one. And in my experience, man, the best meeting is like the fifth one. And so if you can just keep having them, you got to stick with it, you get more effective. Has that been your experience? Do you resonate with that? Yeah. And so we, to give you even a little bit of framework of what we currently use. So we do a like leadership team. We, we meet once a week, 90 minutes, and we do a real tactical dive there. So not a strategic. I like the way that you talked about the strategic part. And we do a quarterly offsite. So we go for two days once every three months. And then we work on the business. So do what you're describing where it's like this, we're going to extract ourselves from the hamster wheel and we're just going to breathe and we're going to be together and we're going to be present. And then we're going to look at the business and work on the business. And so it really gives us kind of that in those, and three months is a short burst. Like I know it feels like a lot and yes, it's always hard to prioritize it. And there's always conflict. And as your team grows, it's harder because then you're managing numerous schedules. And that's a part of what we're balancing now because our leadership team has grown a little bit. But yeah, that's been a gold mine. And yeah, it takes multiple times because actually the first time is kind of a honeymoon. And then the second time, everybody kind of knows what's going on. And then it gets a little more like, eh, are we getting anything out of this? But then you start to like really be able to drive home some of the stuff strategically, directionally you're wanting, even relationally like, hey, yeah, but Clay, you said this. Clay, you said this and you said you're going to deliver this and you're not backing it up. And then it's like, yeah, you're right. That's on me. And you just got to own it, right? And I think that's the piece, but that discipline to keep doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Stick on it because it is multiple times in that the real fruit comes. Because again, the first one's a honeymoon. The second and the third, you're kind of like, well, we can stop this. We can skip this or whatever, but it's actually building the muscle, right? It's at the gym. I mean, you're, you're like the runner. You tell me, man, like you get going, like you got to you gotta push yourself out to it and get in the rhythm of it. And then all of a sudden you can get going. But that first part, you almost just got to push and get past that to get yourself, what is it, into the flow? It's a place I don't ever get to in the run, but there's something called the flow or the whatever where you just, it's natural to you and you're just running. Yeah. Well, I think it's a fair parallel because then you look up and it's almost like it comes out of left field. You find like, oh my gosh, I'm actually enjoying this. And it's like, it snuck up on you. It's like, holy cow, I didn't even know that could happen. And I, I think oftentimes what I've seen is leadership can be the same way as, man, if you are drowning in the business that you created, it's not going to be enjoyment overnight. It's going to be like hustle, 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 consistency, consistency, consistency on the right things. And then you'll look up and be like, oh my gosh, I actually enjoyed this. And can I, can I add one piece to it, Judd? You have to do that for your home life just as powerfully, if not more. 
the most revolutionary thing for all of my businesses was when my wife and I started doing a weekly family planning meeting. And we started doing a weekly date night. And then we started doing quarterly offsites as a couple where we just got away the two of us from our five kids and the businesses in life. And so having that that same infrastructure, to be honest with you, but doing it for our family, which was the priority for us, having that filter in the right order was probably the most life-giving thing to me at work. And it allows me to I shouldn't say allows, it forced me to let go of stuff at work I needed to let go of because there wasn't the margin to do it. So I think that was the piece of ensuring that the right stuff came through the, the priority filter first onto the calendar and doing that from a family life. Like the same stuff we're talking about, by the way, the same structure, the same priority, the same rhythm, just doing it family was critical for me. Man, okay, I want to park there. So thank you for highlighting that cuz you know, Michael who's on your team is is one of my best friends and just in getting to talk to him about working around you, one of the themes that repeatedly comes up is how incredibly and deliberately intentional you are with not just work and business, but also life and family and making sure that your team is doing much of the same or approaching their whole life in the same way. And so I'm really, really glad you brought this up because it's something that he just over and over again compliments you on, Clay. So I guess, first of all, let's start really high level. Why? Why is this something that you are so deeply passionate about and that you think it's like, oh, it's worth it to stop the conversation here and park on this? Why is it so worth it? Why do people need to hear about this? Man, I just got emotional preparing to answer the question. So I'll just I'll just share it with you. Man, it's been a, what was the chapter in my book, Pruning? It's been a season, man. And um, I lost my mom not too long ago. Um, our businesses have taken some cuts back. <clears throat> it's been a challenging season professionally, personally, and then also, Judd, just straight up, I've watched a lot of, we, we've talked about the, the 40, right? My age and all this. I've watched a lot of peers who are dear friends of mine and some leaders of mine go through hard, hard family marriage breakups, dude. Um, and everybody has, by the way. I just want to qualify. And this is not a statement to um, pick on people. I don't want to make anybody feel guilty about your story or those close to you. But I'll just, when our fifth kiddo was born, which was she turns six this month. So my wife and I, we had, we had multiple businesses then. Um, we were in the throes of trying to grow and scale. And I looked at Kirsten and I was like, I want us to go to counseling, not because anything is egregiously wrong with us. We just have so much and we're not going to be able to make this. Not because there's like there was nothing wrong in our relationship, legitimately. Like the normal challenges of having five kids in businesses, but I was like, we've got to elevate our like consciousness the way we do this because I'm watching so many people ahead of us, right? This is the Matthew McConaughey thing. Like, like we're just going to weave it all together. Like legitimately, I'm just watching them in front of us not make it. And I don't want that for you and me. And I don't know the answer. I don't know how to not do that, by the way. I don't know how to not do that. And so let's go find somebody who does have something. Let's go find that doctor who can tell us something and they may not have it perfect but they can give us something. And so we went into counseling and that was some of the structure that came out. So that's my why. Cause I mean, my relationship with God's my first priority and my relationship with her is my second. And then my kids are after that. And then all the business stuff comes and man, I love my businesses. I am passionate about Habakkuk, about Telortho, about restoration group, about our podcast, about all this stuff, man. But I will, I'll walk away from every bit of it. If it was at the cost of the other stuff before that, just the same way 
I'll declare the other things. And if people don't want to work with us because we're weird and name our company after an Old Testament prophet, cool. Like I'll live with that. I'll, I'll let those cards fall where they go. But man, I don't know. I got to that season and watched so many people in such heartache. And I, I had caused so much destruction in my life previously with that season of failing out of school and substance abuse that I was like, ah, this is going to be too much. I don't, I, I need help. So yeah, proactively that that's the why, man. Cause I wanted to fight for the things that mattered most for when I'm an old man. I love your emphasis on the word proactively there. Thank you for sharing that, first of all, but your emphasis on the word proactively. I was speaking with someone recently, he's a customer of ours, and we were just, it was just a a friendly phone call. We were just going back and forth. One of our core values is treat people like friends. And one of the benefits of that in this season right now is like, literally they all are. Like, I just love all of our customers. I'm like, you're the type of person I would call on a Friday afternoon, like just to chat, right? So it's, it's great. But we were talking and he was just talking to me about a handful of the things that he and his wife and his team have gone through over the course of the past six months. And I just said, man, I know we visited this before, but I just really would recommend counseling as something that maybe you check out and go do. And then I listed all the things for him that he had just listed for me in terms of what he had been through. And I said, that is a lot of weight to carry. And I think it would be really wise for any time you go through seasons where you have a ton of weight to carry, like seasons of transition, family members passing away, like seeing tough decisions with your team members, stuff like that. It's like, it would probably be wise to to maybe get some help. And he was like, man, I haven't really thought about the fact that I'm carrying a lot right now. And so I think there's something to just having the perspective of honestly assessing how much weight you're carrying and recognize that it's okay to ask for help. But I think we avoid that sometimes. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. And maybe not everybody avoids it. Honestly, that's with the people like your audience and the people who want to be impact driven leaders and who are out there, um, trying to lead and drive that way a hundred percent because everybody listening, you've got big shoulders. Your shoulders are bigger than you probably even give them credit for with the amount that you carry, the amount that you are passionate about, the amount that you have purpose driven in you. Like, yeah, in that season. So last fall, we'd had multiple sales reps resign back to back to back. We'd had a client leave. We got terminated via email on a Friday at 4 p.m. by our number two manufacturer, which was 16% of our gross revenue, like overnight. Man, we had all these, and this is right before my mom passed away. And I was <laughs> my counselor and my coach, because I had both of them in my life. And I would alternate weekly, by the way. I'd go to my coach one week, my counselor the next week. All And this was proactive about six months before, because life was just getting a bit heavy with my mama's disease. And they both spent such a long time trying to tell me what you just said, which is just, hey, that's a whole lot going on. And I'm like, no, that's just a Tuesday. What are you talking about? That's not a lot going on. It's just Tuesday. But the thing is, is like, it's so crazy. If one of your team members walked in your office and told you the exact same scenario, you would have looked at them and said, man, you've got a lot going on right now. Let me pay for you to go to counseling. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. I got sick at one point and there was a doctor who came in and I had headaches and I was like, yeah, I got really bad headaches here. And legit, I was like, the one time I had COVID prior to this, this is, I had bad headaches. And she was like, that's a stress headache. And I was like, no, no, it's not. I'm fine. And she's like, you, and I was like, oh, okay. And I just don't manifest that way. And I was manifesting that way physically. So you have to have people around you who are willing to help you see in the forest that you can't see. That's the thing is you have to be willing to, to have those people in your life who will just speak 
blunt truth to you when you need to hear it and lovingly, you know, honor and honesty, that balance together. Michael always says that to me, by the way, and that's one of the reasons I love him and I don't like him at times, but I love him is that he will speak, he will speak honestly and bluntly to me, but do it with such honor. And so, yeah, you got to surround yourself with those people as a leader, all of you who are listening, like the type of leaders you are, the exceptional women and men you are, you've got to have those people that you trust to speak truth to you when you need to hear it. And sometimes just like you said, Alex, it is that you got a ton going on. Like you just need to accept that truth. That's right. But with that, well, I mean, it was one of the things that got me so jacked about this conversation is when you were nice enough, you were out of town, but whenever we did your podcast, you were like, oh, you should come over. We should have margaritas and hang by the pool. I was like, yes, let's do that. And then I came, I came to Oklahoma and you were out of town. And I was like, dead gum, but you still let us use your house, which was just amazing. And you have this beautiful property, but two things that Michael and Kimberly both said whenever we were over there, they said, man, Clay and his wife do such a good job of creating like a hospitable, safe environment for people to come into. And that is just such a gift, which is so, so, so cool. Like, I think they even lived with you for a while, which is just awesome that like you did that for one of your team members, right? Not like a year long lease, but just like in between, in between things. So that's just so cool. And then the second thing that they said that I can't even remember how it came up is they said Clay and his wife intentionally set a boundary. I think it was around Saturdays. This was a while back. So so I could be quoting it wrong. Set a, a boundary around Saturdays for their family where they just don't do activities on Saturdays and Saturdays are for family time. So first of all, am I, am I remembering that and am I quoting that boundary correct? Is that right? Yes, we, we, we have had seasons. And I say that because right now we have intentionally, not even on Saturdays now, we haven't fully strained it, but previous, like we, man, we have been so diligent to try to schedule and to make no our default and say yes to only the most important things because we have so many large, important things. And so, yeah, man, we guard the Sabbath and prioritize family rest and being at the house because we want it to be a refuge. We want it to be a place where the rest of the that life that comes at us at school, and I got teenagers now, so the teenagers, remember how awkward and like uncomfortable and uh, confusing the teenage years are? And like, so as, as ki- our kids are navigating that and we're trying to help them make their own decisions and navigate the world, and we as a couple and we as business owners, yeah, man, we have tried to make those weekend parameters and protect that day. And we have like the most incredible neighbors, which we didn't uh, have when we built the house. And then they've moved in and they've become our best friends. And so like we legitimately have community and Sabbath every weekend and we fight hard. Like it's got a matter for us to sign up to go do something else on a weekend, especially that Saturday besides like church and family time, et cetera. Cause we really guard against filling our calendar up in those spaces. Yeah. It feels like it's worth saying like whenever I hear Oklahoma, I'm like, Oh, they live in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a prairie. And it's like, it's like, well, they don't have anything to do anyway. And I will tell you like, that's not where they live. Right. And I've learned that Oklahoma isn't just a prairie in the middle of nowhere. Right. Like, I hope I didn't just insult an, an entire state because that wasn't my goal. What I was, in ninth grade and went to DC, like on the the uh, like school trip to go to Washington DC, there was legit like we met up with another school from somewhere else in the country. I don't know where. And one of the girls legitimately looked at me and she was like, 
so do you all ride horses to school and like have Indians running around? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, like where, where, where do you think I live? It was great. So you're good, dude. Don't worry about it. But there's so many, there's so many business owners that I've coincided with that the limiting belief is, oh, you don't understand our area. Like it's so competitive. Like Saturday soccer for the kids is like the end all be all. Like we can't take our kids out of that. And, and like, it's just this limiting belief. And so Therefore, they just say, oh, like, you don't understand, like, Sabbath, it can't work for our family, right? And I'm not the right person to give advice on that because I don't have kids, right? And and so it was one of the things that I, I really wanted to talk to you about is, I mean, it must have been really hard to put those boundaries in place. And I'm sure sometimes it's hard to guard those boundaries, especially with your kids, whenever sometimes there's things that they want to do that you and your wife have decided in their best interest that y'all aren't willing to commit to. Yeah, that's the hardest tension that we work through, but we've just pre-decided that we're going to prioritize that space and it's going to be a part of our family rhythms. So our kids haven't played sports a lot. I'm not going to say never, but like in the last six years, because as everything is kind of strained up, we haven't signed up for a lot of sports because man, you can just chase everywhere. And so for us, if we can't optimize the schedule, like, so our kids are in piano right now, but that's because the four older boys can all do it back to back to back to back in one single day. We used to have a piano person come to the house and like, I know we've got resources and we're blessed to be able to do that. But that was a part of how we found that symbiotic nature where it's like, okay, we are going to add an activity, but we can optimize it within our schedule and still prioritize our Sabbath time. Well, and I'd also argue it's amazing what people can find resources for if they prioritize it. Like, you know, because because if you say, oh, well, we don't have the resource for that, then it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. But the minute you say, instead of that, you say, how could we do this if we wanted to? It's amazing what starts happening. Yeah. I have been in the trap and I still am. For the record, I'm sure I'll listen to this conversation and be like, you knucklehead, you've missed like three spots here in the trap still of like, I, it has to be this way or my industry is different or it's on me. And, you know, things go in bursts. But if that's your every day, if you're having to work nonstop, then you just got to ask yourself, what do I need to let go of? Sometimes you got to let go of money because you need to get, you know, hire somebody and equip them and release them to own something else so that you can have the freedom you need. Yeah, man, that has been, again, that structure and the Sabbath is a part of that for us because it just, life's a lot. The world is a lot. Like, and I, we can't speak to other generations and I can't speak to other um, um, historical moments because I didn't experience them, but like life's a lot right now. It's loud, it screams at us. We're connected nonstop. I'm just not sure we were wired. Like, I'm not sure we were created biologically to endure maybe that's the right word, sustained like the amount of information, noise, input that we are. So to create space, I know you love outdoors, right? Like you love that sunshine and getting out to just disconnect and have that space. And if you've got a family to create that with your kids, and then if you're going to choose to do something that maybe takes some of that away to do it in dialogue, which is what we did with our 14 year old. Like, so he played basketball this year. And so we, on the front end, it was us all having a big conversation. Like, okay, well, what's the practice schedule? So he had to proactively go to his coach and get like the entire year's practice schedule. And as a 14 year old, it was awkward. He didn't want to do it. And the coach is like, I don't have that set yet. And he's like, well, my dad wants to, and it's because it was creating the family dialogue of like, what are expectations? How are you going to, when are you going to find extra rides to help? Cause we're doing this, like getting to take ownership in this piece. And by the way, he loved the season. It was great. He got to be with his buddies the whole time. And at the end of the year, we counted the cost. And he was like, dad, I don't think it was worth it for me in the end for that. Cause I traded this, this, and this, I got this, this, and this. And in the end, I don't think I'm gonna do it next year. And I was like, 
ah, that's a W. I'm going to walk away. Not because he, not because he chose, not because he chose not to do it, but because he counted the cost. Because every decision you make as a leader is a trade-off, right? Every decision is a trade-off. Because if I do this, it's trading something. It's trading time. It's trading resources. It's trading focus. It's trading attention. Something. And so, just to begin to get that filter, I was like, yeah, okay, we'll make that trade, and we'll still find the rhythms of rest too. So. Yeah. You've used the word Sabbath a couple of times. What does a Sabbath day look like for you? Because I think that's another thing that if if that's a foreign idea in terms of practicing that, it's like, you know, we, we focus on all the other nine commandments, right? It's like, I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. It's like, well, Sabbath, have you ever worked on a Sunday, right? Because it's like, that's on the list too. Um, I, I have. So, I did. I did. I did this past Sunday. So just to call me out. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. So what is Sabbath mean to you? And, and then why is it so important to you? It just means deep rest and being present with God and those that I guess I love the most in this world. So for me, it's that that disconnected. So I try to turn my phone off and leave it in my closet, which my phone stays in my closet every night, by the way, but I try to just leave it there all day if I can. And I try not to have a schedule. So that's probably the other thing. It's not that we don't do anything. <laughs> Right. But you know, it's, it's just, there's no schedule to it. There's no, like, we have to do this. We have to do that. We just try to be together and be present and play Mancala or chess, or let's watch sing Two together with my daughter. Cause it's her favorite show. And then we try to find something redeeming out of it. Like it's that aspect I think is just the deep soul rest of being together and reflecting and not adding and optimizing. And to be frank, just trying to like, Abide, rest, slow down. Yeah. Because the rest of the week, even for, you know, you see it, you probably experience it. Like we're activating, we're going, we're trying to slay the dragon. And, and all of those are good things. It's just how do we balance it, right? How do we balance it? Rest and war, not just that's a Ben Stewart new book. Um, but how do we balance that piece? Yeah. I think one of the challenges I've experienced with regard to that, that I also coincide with people who share this is man, I am most present when I feel most productive. So if I'm in a meeting that's like a strategic planning meeting where we're thinking through the next three years of our business and how it informs what we're doing in the next day, week, month, quarter, man, I, I am so good at being present. But then whenever I'm just hanging out with people and we're just literally hanging out, I, I realize like, oh, it turns out hanging out is a weakness for me, right? Because it's it doesn't feel like, we're producing, it's like, what are we producing, right? Well, it's like the whole point is that you're not producing. And so do you resonate with that tension? And how do you, how do you practice being present, even if the goldfish everywhere and kids running around like crazy and playing with the dog and just sitting by the pool doesn't feel productive all the time? Oh, I think I also just don't feel successful often. And I mean, and maybe that's, uh, they, you know, just articulating or, you know, active listening, the same thing you just said with some different words. Um, yeah. I, oh, yeah, that resonates with me. And I, I don't have a perfect answer on it. I usually, if I am experiencing it, even this weekend, I was experiencing it. And I just try to sit in the, okay, where's that coming from? It's like the racing mind thing that I was talking about earlier. We've been talking about this with one of our sons. We had it recommended and we're like, oh, I don't think he's going to do it. But you talked to me about it, just even like the box breathing. Just like the trying to do that in the moment, even through a day on those kind of days, you should probably use it all the time. But specifically on that day, if I'm trying to activate, be successful, just slow down and use the box breathing to do it, right? Like four in, hold, four, hold, four out, hold, 
for like just doing that. That worked for me a couple of weeks ago. I was giving a talk and got up and got antsy and I needed to box breathe before that. I learned that from you just for the record. There you go. Well, I learned it from someone else. So it all, it, it all ties back to Jesus in some way. So, so we'll just give him credit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that guy just box breathe all the time. I'm pretty sure that's what he was doing just constantly, just as norm. Okay. So you kind of tied back to the, the racing mind idea. What was the book that you referenced at the beginning on anxiety? Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, the Steve Cuss. Yeah. Okay. And what you talked about at the beginning that I think you kind of just referred back to as well was just the idea of like, man, you can wake up at 3 a.m. and I will find myself waking up at 3 a.m. and like, actively saying, don't you dare think about the business, right? Because the minute you think about the business, three, like you're now up, right? Like you're, and, and, and it's not all the times like bad things. It can be like worries or like planning or stuff like that. But sometimes it's like just things that you're excited about. It's like, okay, well now I just screwed up my sleep schedule for the week, right? And that can be really detrimental. And so like, if you do find yourself awake at two or 3 a.m. and your mind gets onto that racetrack, any thoughts from the past decade, from that book, from anything that you're doing right now that seems to be working? What do you do there? Actually, the thought comes from my coach, Kevin Penry, because I processed this very thing with him once because I was doing the same thing. Like, well, mine was actually, so I try to I try to read my Bible and have my quiet time first thing in the morning. And I would often find myself while that was my aim and I'd have my Bible in front of me doing what you're talking about, thinking about work good stuff, challenging stuff, conversations I miss, conversations I need to have, watching game film, you know, in my head, all these things. And I used to almost get like frustrated because I felt like I needed to compartmentalize, right? Because I'd be like, ah, this is, I'm supposed to be doing this. Why am I, ah, and I'm doing that, but I'm supposed to be, and I get frustrated. And he was very gracious to be like, Clay, just be okay with it. Just let it integrate. Like you're an integrated human. You know, you got to take a holistic approach with your team members. You got to take a holistic approach with yourself. Like it's an integrated life. You're not compartmentalized. You shouldn't be, by the way. So if you start thinking about it, just maybe invite God to the spot and go, God, why am I needing to think about this right now? And just sit with that. And then maybe figure out why it is you need to think about the successful thing or why are you so excited about that? And if you are, then just tell God, okay, God, I am really excited about that. That sounds like nice and simple. This morning, I'll be straight up. I was trying to do that. (laughs) And maybe I was striving instead of abiding. Ooh, maybe I need to coach myself up right there. So I, I know it's not all that simple, but that was like this morning, I was aware I was tense. I was aware I was doing what we're talking about and racing on some conversations and things I needed to get done. And I felt behind and I just kept trying to invite God to the spot because man, that's, it can consume. So no, I don't compartment. I try not to compartmentalize now. I try to just integrate at those moments. Mm. Is awareness something you think you've improved in over the course of the past 10 years? Yes. I think it just goes back to the same thing we talked about earlier with the people one degree removed, the people who are in your life. You know, we talked about Michael. I talk about my coach, Kevin. I talk about my counselor. I talk about my wife, Kirsten, like, Surround yourself with people who love you enough to tell you the truth and who love you enough to know what your wounds and your fears and all these things are and to tell you they're not going anywhere and to still speak truth to you. Because that's mine. Like abandonment is my thing. I'm an adoptee. So since like the day I was born before I was even conscious, like that's my root thing is that I'm not worth. So you're going to leave. Like, I'm not worth it, so you're going to leave, right? And for the record, I have incredible adoptive parents. I've been reunified with my biological family. So, like, I've got all kinds of restoration and redemption, but still, that's my root spot. And so, as a leader, when people come to give me hard stuff, I think, okay, you're gone. 
Like this is the this is the clash and you're going to leave. And so the good people who have been so gracious to me who lead up and speak truth are all like, I'm not going anywhere. You need to do this differently. I'm not going anywhere. You didn't say you didn't do what you said you're going to do. And I think that that balance piece has just been that has helped my awareness to tie it back to your, I just like to answer your question. That's what's cultivated awareness for me is that having people consistently just bring that to me and be like, Hey, you can start seeing this in yourself or I'm just gonna have to keep telling you. And it's really uncomfortable every time I tell you, so you could solve it. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We spend so much time talking about self-awareness and it's like self-awareness in my experience, it never happens by yourself. Like it, it, like the time I'm most unaware is the time I'm most isolated. But it's interesting. I think leaders maybe run the risk as much as anyone, if not more than anyone, of being incredibly not aware because they're surrounded by people that don't tell them what they need to hear. And it's not even that they, you know, the easy thing to look at is, okay, well, you're a jerk. And that's why people aren't telling you that. A lot of people, a lot of times, it's not that they're being a jerk, but something has happened culturally that the leader probably needs to take responsibility for that they're not, the feedback loops aren't there. Do you have any thoughts on like, what are practices that leaders can engage in to make sure that that feedback loop is open and that people are providing communication that is really honest and real? Well, if you are not getting feedback, I think begin to be curious about that. To even add to the the thought, if, if you're not getting feedback, so let's let's get this. If you're not getting feedback, you likely, as you said, you've created a culture that somehow now has a symptom of being not feedback rich, right? Not safe. So you're going to be unaware and you're likely choosing that lack of awareness because you became aware at some point it hurt too much or you felt too inadequate in the moment. And so you shut that awareness off. And so now all of a sudden, if that is your dynamic, people don't give you feedback. You're not being made aware of your shortcomings. Cause by the way, we all, we all have shortcomings. If you're listening and don't have shortcomings, let's start like raise your hand because you do, but elements for a safe space, Alex, when you get feedback, just don't respond, just receive. So ask for it. And then when you get it, just receive, don't respond. And I think that's probably the way to maybe begin cultivating if it, if it isn't there now, if you don't have a feedback-rich environment um, and you want to gain awareness as a leader, just start asking questions. And again, don't respond. Just like, or what? Do respond. Just say received. Like, let them know you received it, but don't argue. Don't fight back. The only questions you could ask could be clarity. Like, hey, I just don't understand this. And not in like a, hey, I don't do that. I don't understand this. But in a, hey, genuinely, I just, I need to active listen to make sure I got this right. But that would probably be the thought receive, don't respond. So one thing that you did highlight was that a natural strength for you early on was sales and that you could sell people on stuff. You're a very likable guy. You're a very charismatic personality. And so I could just see how in a leadership team, it's not like you're just domineering a conversation or something like that. It's just that your strength is being able to convince people to buy ideas. Like you're really good at that. And so how do you make sure that you're actually voicing your perspective? Because as a leader, you need to be able to do that without giving it disproportionate weight in the room to where it's like, just because Clay said this, he just sold us all that it's right. Like you kind of want leaders that have a critical eye on what you're saying in some ways. Do you relate to that? hundred percent. That's been a huge process for me to uh, painfully have cut out of me. And for the record, I still do it, especially when I'm stressed or if I'm anxious. That's typically what I'll do. I will use emotion and energy and woo to try to get my point across and then just be done. So the thing I try to do is talk last in those meetings. 
I try to go last on any topic. If it's about vulnerability or have like a development thing, I got to go first. But if we're debating a topic or if we're like trying to decide something, I go last. There was, I, I can't remember where it's from. I can't remember where it's from, but there was this great thing about literally giving yourself tokens or coins with a certain amount of time on them. And so for me, as somebody who I naturally would just suck the air out of a room, I've learned that I will talk my way, is that I would have like a token that was worth 60 seconds and another one that was worth 30 seconds and another one that was worth 60 seconds. And I'd go into like a meeting and we got on a topic, I could place my token. And this is like proverbial, you know, like uh, figurative to myself, but I had 60 seconds to talk. And if I couldn't get it all in, then tough luck. I had to be quiet. And so it forced me to just listen and be like, is this that critical that I'm going to waste my one time to talk. And it's like, you would self, like, and nobody told me to do that. I'm just self-imposing it. Because if I'm going to tell people I care about their voice, but then talk the whole time, I'm being hypocritical. And when they're telling me that, and again, none of them asked me to do that. They're going to be honoring and they're going to be like, hey, boss, you're the boss, et cetera. But man, I, I tried to self-impose it. Maybe I need to do it now. I haven't brought it up in a while and I haven't had to use that in a while. <laughs> but I try to go last. Like when we're debating a topic, I try to have everybody, because my job's to mine for conflict. The best decisions I make are when other people are the ones like, like stewarding it, fighting over it, getting their express opinions out. Your your role is to mine for conflict. Explain that a little bit for people, because I think in meetings, especially a lot of leaders don't perceive that as their role. Well, I view it as mine because number one, I, I think each of my leaders brings a unique perspective and their expertise in their areas is exponentially more than my, mine. You know, so my job is to be an integrator. And so I look at them and I would just watch them. It is, I think it is actually Steve Cuss who always talks about in a room, watch for process more than content. And so in other words, like watch body language, watch tones, watch the way they sit, watch people lean forward, like your own people. And for the record, if I'm talking, I got zero shot of doing any of that. <laughs> and so I'm just want to become a student of the people who are helping curate this, who are helping cultivate this. And so when I see somebody holding back, that's what I mean, my mind for conflict, like, we use Myers-Briggs, we use Enneagram, just kind of, I've got a few introverts uh, and ISTJ on my leadership team, and he will often sit quietly for a while. And so I'll have to be like, dude, I need you to get in the game. Like you've been quiet for a while. Like, what's your perspective on this? Because I got three different opinions over here and I haven't heard a word out of you yet. So just getting, hey, you seem to have a little bit of a, like a face. You made a face when she made that comment. What's that mean? What, what is that? Because why have somebody in the room if you don't value what they're going to say? Like get the most out of your people. So that's the mining piece, mining for conflict. Yeah. And it seems like in order for people to care enough about something to engage in the conflict you're mining for, it's like they, they've got to have a level of ownership of it. And and it's one of the things that when Michael has talked about y'all's leadership teams, just in me talking about kind of what y'all are doing and what y'all are building and all of that, I just always get the vibe, man, people in the room really care. And it's like, man, if you've got people in the room that really care, you're going to have disagreements. And and it also just makes it a way more engaging, thrilling, like exciting meeting to actually be a part of because it's like, oh, man, there's gold in this somewhere. We literally just have to mine for it. And so what are some of the things that you think we obviously can't go through all of them, but what are some of the things that you've integrated into your business that have created a culture specifically in the leadership team where people care enough to fight for it. I don't know that I have some other secret profound thing than everything we've been talking about. To be to be blunt with it, man, empower people, create the space. 
be clear. That's the thing. Everything we're talking about is even back to the Pat's advantage stuff. Like even the language that I use right there about mining for conflict, that is from his content of the five dysfunctions, which is discipline one of the advantage, which is build a cohesive team. And it's the how we do this, right? Get to know each other, understand people's different wirings, care about humans, like care about your people genuinely believe it's about serving. Like if you're, let's, let's weave it back. Like if your job as a leader is to be the servant, like if your job is to serve, then it's not to get your opinion out. Your job is to get the best decision. Craig says it, my pastor says, um, great leaders care about results, not credit. Like you want to win. Like whatever the decision it is that you're making, like you want to make the best decision you can. If we're going to make a decision based off what we already believed ahead of time, like why even have a team? Why go through the process? If you have a team, then you believe in the idea. You believe in the exponential power of it, right? You believe that there are better ideas than your own out there. You believe that other people's giftings and experiences and skills can help inform and make the best decision because you care about results, not credit. And so if you're not going to prioritize that, why even go through the exercise? Like if we're back to like saving time and having healthy life rhythms, like if you're just going to make the call yourself, cool, do it. Then just make the call yourselves and be clear up front with people. Don't do the exercise. Or my own experience says that the group, and it's not that the group, like you chase consensus because you're never going to get that. Like that's, if you create a diverse body, you're never going to get consensus. But the group will refine and iron sharpen iron back to being a biblical thing. Like it will get to a refining of the best decision. And then you as a leader get to make it. Um, and it might be someone else's idea. And that happens uh, very frequently in my in my room. Um, and it's not my room, in our room, in our leadership room. And so, yeah, man, that's the, that's the beauty of the scenario. And it actually becomes freeing as an, a leader because then you don't have to have the answer, which is one of the greatest pressures I felt at the start. Alex, is that I had to have every answer and you get to come with a curiosity. You get to come with an open mind and go, what is the best answer? All right, team, let's find this thing. Let's go. I love that. What are you most excited about right now, Clay? Man, we are we are at an inflection point where we've continued to have some vision of not just scaling our one business, which was Habakkuk and kind of the founding one. We've got another uh, sibling company of it that's got a, a take on revolutionizing the way we cover surgery. That's a company called Telortho. And so we're really leaning into the virtual rep model. Telemedicine has become very accepted. There are churches all over the world that utilize virtual teaching and can pipe single expertise or single wisdom into multiple remote locations. So we're trying to find a way, how can we do that to help reduce cost in the healthcare world and maintain a high level of service? At the same time, we've got other passions in places that we want to continue to invest in. Restoration is a theme we're passionate about. So we've started a little, uh, for lack of a better term, VC, venture capitalist company. Capital meaning time, talent, and treasure, not just money. Money is a part of it, but also culture building, infrastructure, small business startup infrastructure to where we will invest in small businesses that are kingdom focused, man. And we want to be able to help them grow and get off the ground because the start, the start is hard. It is messy. It is volatile. And we want to come alongside kingdom focused businesses that have a heart for restoration in their own area of expertise. So that could be in digital marketing. It could be in data analytics. It could be in properties and development, which is another space that we're getting into now. And that's what Michael's been doing. Uh, and I know you've been talking to him a little bit about and really excited to see that vision and kind of the autonomy and the integration of these different businesses, how that's an ecosystem and they really feed each other and work well together. All small businesses, 
all kingdom focused, all with their own core competency. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Dude, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay, before you ask the final question, how can people stay in touch with you, with everything you're doing with restoration, with your podcast, all of that, Clay? Yeah, so the podcast is Combos of Clay. You can find it anywhere that you find your podcast stuff. Keep listening for Path for Growth. Don't stop, don't stop, but you can just add one more subscription. It's cool. Yeah, we're there. That's the same thing in that same ecosystem because our, our podcast exists to uh, help restore life through awareness inviting conversations. We have guests on and talk about people's journeys, their journeys about what God's done in and through them. Alex was a guest before, share some great wisdom. You can go check that episode out. Habakkuk uh, is online at Habakkuk.health and you can check it out and that will link you through to all the other all the other websites as well. So, Well, uh, one of the things that I so appreciate about you is, uh, number one, you're both a practitioner and a communicator. So you can do the thing and then you can also communicate about what you've learned and how you've done the thing and do that in a way that's both effective but incredibly humble. And so I just really appreciate your example in that. But then I I think the other thing is just like truly what we said about the fact you just turned 40 and it just feels like you're just getting started and just talking to you. It's like there's life and there's energy and there's passion in the work that you're doing and the things that you're learning and the ways that you're growing. I think myself and so much of our audience wants to be that type of person, right? That it's like, oh, there's no end date. What is retire? Like, what is retirement? What are we talking about retirement for, right? Like, we're just like, we're, we're gonna keep working and adding value and growing. And, and that may look like doing it for money or not doing it for money, but we're always growing, we're always moving forward. And, and so what would your encouragement be to the man or woman that's listening that says, man, I wanna be that type of leader that is just, always has fuel in their engine and is always excited about moving forward. I think my encouragement would be that sometimes what allows you to do more is doing less. And as strange as that might seem, but you got to be able to let go of certain stuff. And that that's been, it's still hard for me. Like even I'm sure right now, I am a hundred percent confident. If we called my leadership team in right now and it was like, what am I still doing that I should not be? They'd be like this, this, that, you know, and then, okay, it might be something I need to go ask them today. I'm going to put that on my list to go do. I'll do it after we're done. But man, I think that's it because it allows you to do the things that only you can do. That's an Andy Stanley um, quote that I just always love. And, and do you ever get there? I don't know. It's a direction, probably not a destination, but do only the things that you can do. Be that integrator. Be be the person who can only sit in your shoes. Don't don't rob other people. Let them have theirs. And I think that's probably the thing that allows us to do that, Alex, because we'll keep letting go and we'll keep elevating, right? We'll keep learning it's not about us. We'll keep pursuing something higher than ourselves. But just don't burn out on it because I know I can be high energy and I can be all out. But I think slowing down is probably the piece that I need to continue to rest in. Because I think that's, if you do the right work, it's that 80-20 thing. And you talked about it earlier. Like, what's the thing you can do that's going to have the largest impact? Like, do the 20% that makes the biggest impact for your family, for your health, for your businesses. And that will continue to be tightened, I think, over time. So, yeah. Well, Clay, thanks for your time. Thanks for your investment. And thanks for your example. Uh, You're the real deal, man. Thanks. Well, received. Thank you, brother. Well, man, I'm so grateful to Clay for his authenticity and for his energy. And just as much as both of those things, his commitment to never ending growth. You just get the vibe that this guy is not slowing down. And I think that's something that all of us need to regularly and consistently allow ourselves to be exposed to and inspired by. 
Hey, real quick, before we go, uh, most of you know that every week we send an email called Worth It Wednesday. And the reason we call it Worth It Wednesday is because I think most email isn't worth it. I hate email, right? It's not worth your time, not worth your energy. So every week we try to send you one email that actually is. We send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. We also include a quick recap video in there. You can go through the entire email in three minutes. And man, it's just so cool to see how many of you are taking the principles that are taught in that email and applying them and also sharing them with your organization. So thank you if you're already a part of that email list. If you want to be a part of that email list and join the Worth It Wednesday community, you can click the link that's in the show notes of this episode or just sign up for it at pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.